0: welcome to casting Nets podcast I am one of your hosts will Harley and I am joined here with uh, the bald the beautiful and the rocking star right now Don Winsberger we are trying out some new music so hopefully you like it um, we are we're trying to rock out here a little bit more both him and I are, are fans of more of the the metal genre and and not sort of the uh, the slow stuff and so uh, we keep trying something new and, and throwing it at you we gather today with some wonderful opportunities to uh, kind of jump back into the book of Daniel um, and we're taking a, a vital shift from the book of Daniel here today uh, leaving the history behind and now diving into prophecy uh do you want to give us a little bit of context before we have the the intro music or and actually you can you can give us our our disclaimer and then we'll enter into some uh Uh, transition music before we start our conversation
1: yes very few of Pastor Harley's or my thoughts are very sanctified so in the very likely instance that we say something to offend you and actually sometimes we even really try if we offend you you have the option to contact us by email um you have the option to turn us off and never listen again. Um, You could also, if you wish, contact our district presidents. Um, We'll let you figure out who those guys are. Um, But just keep in mind that while we try to keep our thoughts, our discussion as sanctified as possible, um, and we do do our utmost to remain faithful to scripture, Um, confessional Lutheran scriptural doctrine. Um, We do not, our show does not represent the viewpoints of the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, nor of Pastor Harley's church in Maribel, nor of my churches in South Central South Dakota and in North Central Nebraska. With that being said, we hope that you learn from us. We hope that you grasp God's truth And we hope that you find comfort and strength in your life as God's people.
0: And we're back as we have an opportunity to uh, continue our discussion on the book of Daniel. Daniel is an amazing book. I hope you have enjoyed this study thus far. As we've sort of uh, led our way through the book of Daniel, we've kind of dealt with the history, and, and that's I, I, I kind of like the history part of Daniel. Um, there's some richness there as we see Daniel struggle with uh, the shift of all of these governments that that he's been having. And, and what a timely thing it was for us to, to deal with this. Now we, we take a shift and, and we, we see maybe more of the prophetic nature of Daniel. As we enter in the last half of the book of Daniel and we deal with um, the visions that the Lord has given to him, not only was he able to interpret visions for other people, but he himself had visions, which interestingly enough, the Lord had to interpret for him. So he, he was, you know, he's given visions and he's like, I don't understand. And the Lord tells him what these visions are. Uh, some, some interesting facts that maybe um, as we lead into seven and eight here because we're going to try to do two chapters um, because they they combine and they're talking about the same things. Um, first that we, we might want to say before we jump on into seven is chapter seven is the last chapter in the book of Daniel dealing uh, written in Aramaic. So chapter two through seven is, is all written in Aramaic, um, made for the, the average consumption of anybody who was in the known world at the time. Now in chapter eight, we will come back to Hebrew as again, Daniel is focusing uh, on giving comfort and hope to God's people in general. And so uh, let's start with chapter seven. Let's talk about uh, uh, the vision of the four beasts and uh, what's going on. In, in Daniel's life as this is happening.
1: I'd like to make this point as we begin here. When we face difficulty and transition and persecution and upheaval and uncertainty as God's people, we're always looking for direction from him. There's always a question Of what's God thinking here, maybe even comes up, does he know what he's doing? And we have this wish that God would explain himself to us. I look at chapters seven and eight here as God's attempt to explain to his people of that time as much of as possible that he's in control. As we get to look at this, we get a blessing of being able to look at this in hindsight. We get to see. Many of these things in these visions that have been already fulfilled. It's kind of how I look at this thing where God had told Job when Job demanded an explanation. um, and, And God basically told Job, even if I told you, you couldn't understand. Just trust me. And there are so many elements of this here. God gives Daniel a vision. Daniel shares this vision. But once again, trying for these people trying to comprehend it, they really couldn't wrap their brains about it around it. but there is one thing that they could wrap their their hands around because the one thing that we don't want to forget in both of these visions, which one which they both really they're both really the same thing. they're dealing with the same things. Um, the second one is more focused on God's people and I think that's where we want to focus on is this through all of this crud through all of this upheaval through all of this uncertainty and persecution god is in control and he will be victorious
0: and i think that is something that that we our people need to hear because so oftentimes, times oh i just had this conversation with my mother actually today um we were driving and and i said you know with all the upheaval and all the things going on and all of the stuff that's that seems to be one way than the other way, I said, you know, the illustration that the scriptures tell us of 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 how life is like the 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 being whipped and around and thrown on a, on a tumultuous sea, right? You have that beautiful illustration of the, of how this is that that man, when you look around, that's really what life is. I mean, there's al- I mean, you're always being thrown from one thing to another thing, and you think, okay, I just got through, and then all of a sudden you're up another crest on a wave and you're tossed around somewhere else. And the only place that you can find any mooring is in the fact, and I want to highlight that, the fact that Christ reigns and the fact that that he is the rock. Um, as so beautifully said uh, in many of the Psalms, as well as, as beautifully said um, by... The mighty fortress, right? Luther's uh, very uh, beautiful, you know, song of the Reformation is the fact that that here we have, here we have the rock, here we have the compass, here we have the very thing that that will keep us grounded when all of this is shifting. Um, so let's start with 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 chapter seven because because that's exactly the words that um, ha- are highlighted there in that beginning section of verses, right? Um, where, where, of course, he's. He, it's in the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon. So we're past Nebuchadnezzar. We're we're approaching the fall of Babylon. Um, but but here's what we had in that first vision. He's okay. He's sleeping. He's he he's engaged with this. And it says in the in the very second verse, it says, "I was watching and I saw the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea." And I think that's where we have that one again in illustration of there is there is discord, there is disruption in the world. Um, this is this is, we're being tossed around, and here's what's coming out of it. Um, and I think that's kind of a huge, a huge thing for us to 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 wrap our heads around that that you know we're we're being we're we're referencing something far greater than just our normal lives, even at this point, but it's, it's not just us that are tossed around. Everybody is.
1: Yes. You know, I like that you, you brought that up, uh, or, you know, when he says, I looked up, there were four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Um, Then he goes on four great beasts, each different from the others came up out of the sea. I can hear him say this. Um, my sainted seminary professor who wrote a wonderful commentary on the book of Daniel. I can hear this in his voice. I'm going to throw you a little curve here. I'm not trying to lead you down a rabbit hole, but I do think that this would be a nice point of just a brief discussion. This is something that, uh, this is just a quote from my sainted seminary professor, John Jeske. History has documented that when a nation forgets its God-given assignment and seeks instead to dominate people, it loses its finer traits and becomes, in effect, like a beast.
0: I would say, just on the surface, no truer words have ever been spoken, but I would also say that it's not just a country that has to deal with that, but, a, but people um, yes, I, I think when we start when we start pursuing our baser instincts, we are no different than the beasts, um, which is I mean, that's the claim of evolution. And I, I like I said, I don't know how far down the rabbit hole you want to go. But the very claim of evolution is, look, see, we are no different from beasts, so we can act any way we want. That's not
1: the, I, the point. Can I throw in my my sainted father's viewpoint on this? Who wasn't a pastor. But just on what you said there, he said because this you have a lot of people have said this, and then my father said this. On the other hand, when you observe nature, the animals behave a whole lot better than most human beings.
0: Oftentimes they do, yeah. But but that but I mean that's the the excuse that we give, right? That's that's the evolutionary excuse yep. that we have now is is that we are that that we are no better than beasts when when philosophy and i'm going to okay i'm going to go back now you got me on a rant and so <laughs> philosophy to, philosophy has set, you know, we, mankind has dealt with philosophy and, and, and the art of thinking and the, and the love of wisdom. And it's always come down that, that, that really the love of wisdom, the, uh, the ability to articulate, the ability to, to, to overcome our baser instincts has what set us apart from the, the beasts of this world. And then we all of a sudden live in this time frame now. And, and I think even Daniel in many ways lived in the time frame then because Ezekiel or Ecclesiastes says, uh, a very of course that that nothing new under the sun, and we we realize that. But you have this this horrible instinct of people in our sinful nature to to gravitate to the baser instincts, and and that makes us very bestial, very bestial, and and, and not to be like a, a person that's painting horrible pictures for our listeners, but you know the person who is oversexed, and I, and I shouldn't say oversexed as much as oversexualized that is that is basic bestial instinct right or a person who who lusts after the next uh um um extreme you name it that that is a that is a base instinct you know uh the 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 account of adrenaline I gotta get this going or or the one who lashes out irrationally because they didn't get their way. I'm sorry but you know that's my dog when I hold a piece of food down near his his mouth and he's not getting it and and, and he wants it and he he leaps at it right because he can't control himself and 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 that is that sets us apart from the animals the fact that we can we can control those baser instincts and and yes i would say it is a beautiful illustration that we see these beasts coming out of the water and we're going to see their attitude and their attitude is not one of control and self-discipline it is running rampant grinding stomping trampling conquering eating devouring everything that is is based on on just the pure instinct of out of control
1: growth and let us keep in mind with these beasts as, uh, as, you know, and I don't know how much we're going to be able to parse these beasts out today. Um, but with the different kingdoms, you get Nebuchadnezzar, you've got Cyrus, you've got Rome, and then you get the, you get the Messianic area with the papacy. Um, remember that one of the things too, with Cyrus, who, again, uh, We have, which prophet is it? Is it it Ezekiel? But Either way, it's the Lord. He says this about Cyrus. He calls Cyrus my servant. This beast, this emperor, this nation, um, empire, which is ravaging God's people, is God's servant. And that's actually
0: Isaiah, by the way.
1: Isaiah. And another reminder that God is in control even when things look completely upside down.
0: And in fact, by the and just for our listeners to understand, um, and I know we're not in the book of Isaiah, but but that one quote that that Don has just brought up um, has led scholars to think that the second half of Isaiah must have been written by someone other than Isaiah, and I think they're full of what falls out of the backside of a dog, Um because they say, well, how could he name somebody that was so many years after Isaiah would have been alive? Um, and yet he does, because he is a prophet given the words from God. That's a whole other discussion. So let's carry on. Um yes. let's 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 try to parse out some of these beasts. Okay, so we have we have a first beast, and and the first beast he sees isn't so scary, actually. It's something that he has been seeing probably on reliefs and probably in, in uh all sorts of uh different art forms in the country that he's now living in. It is this um, the lion with eagle wings, right? He sees a he sees a, a a lion with eagle wings and why a lion and you can maybe answer this why a lion and why eagle wings?
1: Again, you have those things of again symbols symbols of of, of immense strength. Um, you know, lion. You know, we kind of think about uh, the king of the jungle, a predator. I can't help but thinking about how. How uh, Peter describes Satan as a roaring lion seeking, on the prowl, seeking whom he may devour. Eagles with their wings. Once again, it makes you think. It makes me think of why the why the eagle was was picked as a sign, as a symbol for America, um, as a, just as a sign of of strength and power, um, vengeance, swiftness. However, you want to look at it.
0: Actually, the Eagle was in competition with the turkey.
1: Yeah. And we're not saying that there's any parallels here between <laughs> Once again, I want to make it clear to people we're not saying that there's any parallels here. that this is not talk this vision in Daniel is not talking about 20th century or any era of American history specifically.
0: No, in fact, we and and the reason we can say that is because we do have we have the translation, right? We we have the the not the translation the the explanation of the vision, um, and, yes. and, and understanding it, and so so we we know f- from the understanding that this lion with these eagles wings is is Babylon. Um, not only is it is it a fast country uh, with the wings, regal, very regal, powerful. Um, but it's, it's, it's that king of countries, right? It is, uh, it is a thing. Um, we have the, the beauty of it. Um, but then we have something that happens to it, right? Um, you have this lion who is dominating, this lion who is aggressive, this lion who is swift. And then all of a sudden, the, the feathers get plucked. And something interesting happens to this lion. he becomes more like a man and he gains the the mind of a man um, I I, I kind of love the pictures that are being given to here uh, given to us in this vision um, some people have said this was Nebuchadnezzar right when he was was brought back from his state of, of being a beast and and is now more respectful um, and recognized not of, not in faith of course we already dealt with that but more respectful to the Lord who controls all things. Um, our God. And and some people have said that this is a, a good translation for that. I don't know if that's true. I, I think it's as good as any, but I think you see something that happens that is, is unique to this beast and this beast alone. What he was is not what he ends up being. And so maybe there is something to be said that what he was was a beast driven by power, driven by um, desire driven by greed, driven by more and more strength and conquering, and he was brought out of it. Maybe there is with, something to that.
1: Yeah, well, and then once again, that that fits again with the, really it's the same principle that fits with Nebuchadnezzar. That it, whether you look at it for the na- for the empire as a whole or for the king, both both of those illustrations fit. Both of those interpretations fit.
0: And it makes and it, and it makes it kind of feel nice to say that you know God can can change the very base instincts of a person so that they actually start thinking about someone else right for a change or or at least less about themselves for a change um but that doesn't last long and instantly we we now move on to uh the second piece and the second piece is unique in itself. Um, because he's a bear, he's a lopsided bear and he's got something in his mouth, which is kind of cool, if not a little gruesome. Um, he's got, got some ribs in his mouth and, uh, he's given the right to kind of keep eating things. Um, so let's explain that one. Tell us, walk us through who this is and maybe some of the, the intricate parts of why he looks the way he does.
1: Beast number two would be um, the neck, the the Medo-Persian Empire um, of King Cyrus. Um, again, uh, uh, a unique description of uh, a beast resembling a bear. Um, the, and I'm the, the the translation I'm looking at right now is the old NIV. Um, it was raised up on one of its sides. Um that is a uh, difficult and much disputed uh, kind of translation or what how to understand that. Um Professor Jesky suggested that a good way to understand this would be to referring to the greater importance of the Persian segment of the Medo-Persian alliance um uh, because it seemed to be that was the one that had the most influence. Um, The characteristic of the beast was uh, uh, its greed for prey and conquest. Um, That three ribs in its mouth, that's that's another interesting one. Um, Some feel that that describes the fate of any nation which opposed it um, during their glory years. Um, They could uh, correspond to the three major conquests. Of that empire, the conquests of Lydia, Babylon, and Egypt, um, and so again, um, this it, it just as as I was kind of prepping for this. This is what what the Christian historians seem to see um, in hindsight of how this is to be understood, and it doesn't seem that there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of questioning of that um, in Christian circles across denominations
0: no it seems to be widely accepted that that that, that for the first two well actually for, for for pretty much all the first three uh beasts that we're going to encounter it, it's widely accepted um as to who these are and mostly that's because we're given we're given some more clear and, and this comes up in chapter 8 predominantly we're given more clear insight as to these nations um where he's going to name where where god is going to name them for yep. us, and so I think yep. we're very we can be very self assured and say, "This is what this is." And now, like you said, with the with the 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 ribs in the mouth, yeah, maybe that's a little conjecture as to uh, as to what it actually means. But I think it's a very good assessment to say the three conquering or the three nations that were conquered.
1: Even in the command from from the Lord, there, uh, um, get up and eat your fill of flesh. That takes me to Isaiah's words. Where, where he says uh, where God says I'll call Cyrus my servant here God is giving Cyrus the go ahead to go ahead and do this this is God's plan this is th- this is God carrying out his plan God being in control this isn't some hodgepodge of of human sinful bad things happening that uh um, that just happened to just fall into place for the good of God's people
0: and, and I would also I would just make a, a and I would make a, a a connection to that and say notice the different animals. Um, and and what makes this interesting is we're, we're 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 dealing with some pretty big animals here in the beginning. Um, we have a lion right um, maybe not necessarily huge but definitely powerful and regal we have a bear and i mean this i mean i don't know about you but when i envision a bear i envision a big beast i mean this guy is huge and, and the medes and the persians were a big army i mean 100,000 strong i mean they were they were big and that demographic's going to shift when we get to this third beast and i think that's important for us to understand is that like you said coming off of the idea that this is god controlled god is managing how these nations rise and fall um, whether we think they were huge or not, whether we think they were powerful or not, it is God who's managing these rise and fall of these kingdoms, uh, not them. He, they are, oh, yeah.
1: they're not the ones yeah. controlling it. And you especially see that with Beast Number Three, right? Um, you know, Beast Number Three, you've got, uh, uh, you've got that looked like a leopard, had four wings on its back, had four heads and given the authority to rule, again, as we look even into chapter eight, and we get this, this is something that is spelled out, and it's understood as Greece, Alexander the Great. Uh, here is one where this is, has to be, at least in in, in my appreciation for, for history, to me, this is one of the most fascinating empires um, in the history of the world, because one of the most powerful effective, violent, um, and and the successful armies, that you had an army of about 30,000 that was beating nations with armies three times its
0: size. Oh, well, the fact that they beat the Medes and the Persians at 100,000 strong. Yes. And, 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 and the other thing, and you're talking about, and I won't let you continue, but I, I just have to bring it up because... This leads into the future of the 20th century as well. Alexander perfected what what the Germans would later call the Blitzkrieg, the lightning attack. I mean, that, that's I'm, very picturesque of a leopard, right? Very fast, very in and out, in and out. I mean, it's a small animal compared to a bear. It's a small animal compared to a bear, and it conquers.
1: I would have to say... You know, and and this could be up for debate. Probably not, not uh, not an important point for the point of our podcast, or even the Bible study that our brothers and sisters are doing at neighboring churches. Um, but probably, arguably, probably one of the most forbid, if not the most formidable army in human history.
0: I would say it is. Well, um, I mean, there's a lot of ink that is spelled. Uh, well, you know. I take that back. I think out of out of all of history, the the two armies that get the most credit for for tactics and probably for advancement are going to be um, Alexander and his army of the of the Greece uh, Grecian people and that of Rome, which is going to be coming up. Uh, predominantly, I think they get the most credit for being come a, some of the most violent, most effective fighting forces. I think what we see here with Alexander though is 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 something that is I would have to say the fastest fighting force. Um he I mean he was 33 years old when he just inexplicably, inexplicably dies without an heir. He just he dies. Um and he's wiped off the board. Just history, like
1: that. History seems to suggest that uh that uh Alex it doesn't spell it out clearly but it seems to heavily suggest that he died from from his decadence um and uh lack of moral judgment i wouldn't doubt it yeah
0: but but even but unless we can say it for certain i think it's safe to just say the lord removes him from the board
1: yeah in in oh definitely that's and you know and and i, it, I, it, I
0: you can you can adjust my quote uh or or i think he conquers the known world in what 10 to 13 years something super short um i mean he he comes to power he's like a blip on the radar but he's an effective blip on the radar um and 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 by the way every every capital he 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 conquers um and this is going to drive any historian nuts every place he conquers he he calls the main city alexandria um, I mean, so you have one in egypt and you 're going to have one in the north i mean they 're everywhere um it's like he was he's very egotistical in that way um
1: another, another point here just for for maybe religious Christian reference here too is the fact that in it here with alexander starting with starting with the Babylonians, the Medes, and the Persians they have, have the Jews carried off into captivity, you have um you have Alexander's conquests and actually conquering the known world. You have the language of Greek being spread about and so forth. You have then God's people grasping on the Greek, the Old Testament's translated into Greek. That becomes that's the language that the New Testament's going to be written in. These conquests, the Jews are spread out farther in the kingdom, together with the next beast that comes up with the Roman Empire. This is God all working and setting the groundwork for the foundation and the spread of the Christian Church.
0: And and I think we have to take a we just have to take a pause, and we're going to get more in depth in this in, in Chapter Eight here momentarily. But we need to take a pause, and we need to say okay. The reason why the Greek culture was so prevalent was not because, a little bit in part because of Alexander's conquest, but really it became such a heavy a heavy part of the culture because of what happens after his death. See, after Alexander dies, and, and this is in the vision, you have these four wings, right, um, and the four heads of this leopard. See, after Alexander dies, um, he has zero heirs. And so his his generals split up all of the known territory into four quadrants, and you're going to have the, the quadrant that's up in Greece, you're going to have Asia Minor, you're going to have what is going to become the Seleucids, which is primarily Palestine area, and then you're going to have Egypt. And then you're going to get into some of the stories of, of Mark Anthony and Cleopatra and and things like that. And we're going to get into another guy who's coming in chapter 8 by the name of Antiochus. um, um, And, uh, oh, what's his last name? Epiphanes.
1: Yes, Antiochus Epiphanes. He's one to explain uh, where, because, because of this one, call him the festering hemorrhoid among the Jewish people because it explains a lot of the attitudes that the Jewish people had by the time Jesus arrived and Antiochus Epiphany is his name in the Greek literally meant Antioches, Antiochus uh, God manifest the manifestation of God.
0: Right. Where we get the idea of Epiphany, the, the, yeah. the revealing.
1: And, uh, and the Jewish people gave him a nickname. His, his nickname was, uh, uh, and they called him Antiochus um, Epiphany epimenes, which means, which was, it's kind of a pun, um, a derivation of the word, but it's actually translated Antiochus the insane one. And we're
0: going to talk more about him in chapter eight, but, but, but what we wanted to do is highlight the importance of this Greek culture. You have, you have um, many, many wonderful Greek things that are brought into the culture um, that are, are going to be learning, education, language, um mathematics, uh, I mean, a lot of things that are brought in with this.
1: And it, it, and that it also the good things, the one and just and I know we'll get back to Antiochus again. The one probably it just to understand why the Jewish and not this isn't making an excuse for them but it was one of the reasons why the Jews were so obstinate. Um, they were not only obstinate against Rome, they were obstinate against Jesus. They were obstinate against change because Antiochus came in and really just, I mean, because he was such a jerk, it set attitude for over four centuries.
0: Okay, so so just to paint this <laughs> as a as, as pictures, Um, when dealing with that, and and we're not dealing with him, but because of what Antiochus does, because of what Antiochus does, and we're not on him yet, but we got to finish this conversation a little bit, because of what Antiochus does, when Rome comes in conquering, and, and this is the truth, I'm telling you, this is the truth, when Rome comes conquering, Jerusalem, which is the center of Jewish faith, opens the doors wide to welcome Rome in. And that is going to play a huge part in Rome allowing the Jewish religion to be a, a, a legalized religion leading into the time of Christ. And it's something that is very, very important for us to understand. Yes, were they were they kind of a hemorrhoid? Did they kind of rebel against uh, Roman rule? Yes, they did. But the reason that Caiaphas, later on in in when we get to the narrative of Jesus, why Caiaphas was so worried about this upstart Christ was because there was this tentative peace between the the Jewish religion and Rome because of of the understanding that they had. They could re they could they could worship the way that they wanted to worship, but they had to follow certain rules. And there was this tentative peace as they were trying to get out of, out of this. Horrible situation with Antiochus from the Greeks and the Romans came in. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we carry on.
1: And that was something that led more to the Jewish people and the Jewish religion, the Jewish leaders being more open to compromise rather than taking a hard stand.
0: Right. But it also opened the door. It also allowed for the the fulfillment of, the, of God's plan of salvation. Oh, yes. yes. Because Once the again, temple it, was still there.
1: And it... It, the, knowing this type of history is 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 a wonderful because it helps us to understand the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a whole lot better because it gives us a, a bit of the history and the context, absolutely. and And
0: realizing why why the Jewish people were the way that they were, why did they act, the way that they acted, and also why in all of Rome, in all of the area of Rome, why was it that the Jewish religion was the only other acceptable religion in all of Rome? And, and it allowed for Jesus to fulfill the law, which is to, to worship as was, was dictated, right, um, for the people to worship. He was able to do that because Rome still had Jewish religion as legal, and and there is and it all leads up to this. I mean, again, you cannot paint this in a better way that God was controlling everything throughout all of this. But we're not there yet. We, we still got a fourth beast, and then we got a couple other things to talk about before we get to, to, to finishing off, um, highlighting Christ, which is where we want to end up. So we have this fourth beast, and this fourth beast that comes up is, is, man, he is a fearsome beast. We don't even have anything to reference what this beast looks like. It's just a beast, and it is frightening. It is terrifying. It has iron teeth, and it devours, and it crushes with its feet, um, and it tramples everything. But this beast has something different, and this beast has ten horns. And from this beast comes another horn that displaces three of those other 10. And that one horn is unique because that horn talks and has eyes and boasts and thinks it's hot stuff, and it's not. And now we enter into something where we're like, okay, where are we going and what is this a picture of? And we talked a little bit about it. We we can kind of sort of get the idea. Okay, this is Rome, right? The beast is Rome. And me and and with the iron teeth that was one of the things that made Rome such a powerhouse is that it it smelted iron and they used iron weapons. That was a huge thing for Rome if you look in history. We estimate that and actually we're told, so it's not really an estimation, but we're told that the the, the 10 horns were 10 kings but then we have this one that that sort of sort of crops up and we're not given necessarily the most clear picture as to who this one is but i think first john 4 does give us a little bit of an idea right um and and other places throughout scripture give us a little bit of an idea of who this is do do you want to maybe you know, we, we have this section here where, where it's interesting because we have the beast coming up, and then we sort of get a split, and the Ancient of Days comes down. Do we want to talk about the fourth beast now, or do we want to talk about the Ancient of Days and the coming of the Son of Man and the books being opened, then come back and talk about the fourth beast?
1: Because I think probably as I look at our timeline here, we give uh, we give the Ancient of Days his shrift dealing here with Christ Coming back and fi- finishing uh, finishing up with the Antichrist in chapter chapter eight, I think would be a good thing because really chapter eight is kind of really and and there's a lot of explanation of what's in chapter seven. Okay,
0: so so what we have is we have this arrogant beast that comes up um, and and the arrogant horn and um, and the vision kind of before it gives us the explanation of what's going on kind of instantly shows us the end, right? Um, it's speaking boastfully, and the Ancient of Days comes. Uh, oddly, oh, beautifully enough, that this is the only time that God is referred to as the Ancient of Days in Scripture, and it comes here in Daniel. Um, and it's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. You get the idea of his eternal quality, right? Uh, and then we have um, the person I love to see uh, throughout the book of Daniel, yeah, the Son of Man coming. And, and standing before the throne, um, beautiful throne. It's on wheels, meaning it's movable. It's a fire, so there's judgment, right? There's purification being seen, um, and then the books are opened. And talk about the books. There's a there's. I think there is something special in saying there's plural books.
1: It's a. Uh, uh, first of all, I want to make it clear to our listeners from the Rosebud Circuit of the Nebraska District of the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. That the books here are not uh, are not the church record books um, in any way, shape, or form. So we'll just clarify that right away. Um, I know there's probably one particular listener that's really going to be disappointed to hear that, but he shall be unnamed. But he is dearly loved. Anyway, um, that being said, we have here um, we have here, and I like how you said too that, that it's books plural. Scripture talks about the books of the books of, of the Book of Life. Um, first of all, one where again it's recorded uh, uh, the name of, of all of the elect, um, and uh, and so forth. What a comforting thing that that is! And once again, that is not the church record book. Um, the other book that Scripture often speaks about are the books where um, where where the books where where people's where people's lives, our behavior. Where those things are recorded, the book of judgment. And so you kind of have, uh, you have, you have this, you have, uh, um, uh, again, the book of life, and you, and you have, and you have judgment. Um, For Christians, for for God's people, the day of judgment is not a day of fear. It's not a day of uncertainty. Our names are written in the book of life, not because we are such wonderful people, but because we are clothed by the blood of the ancient of days.
0: And I I think it's something to be said that in the book of life, your name is written in the blood of the Son of Man. Um, Yes. You know, And it trumps what is in the Book of Judgment. Um, You know what is. You would think of the Book of the Judgment, uh, Book of Judgment, as as the cosmic scale, right? Um, God says, "Be perfect," and here's everything you've done—good, bad, and um, indifferent—and how does it how does it measure up to perfection? And then and then you you almost see this this courtroom scene where where the court is taking and seating, and the Son of Man comes and says but they are mine and here's his name and it outweighs it all
1: and i and, and really this is a neat thing because with all these visions all these upheaval all of this crap that's going on and yes god's in control of it what we have here is really the important is that the four beasts do not have the last word
0: no no god has
1: the first word in human history. And he will have the last and that is such a beautiful beautiful truth to hold on to at any time in life um, god's word brought everything into existence his powerful creative word his powerful word is an integral part of every single day of our life and rest assured no matter what happens God is going to have the final word.
0: And, and I think something to even even highlight is is how the unity of, of the Ancient of Days and, and the Son of Man play into this. Because notice, what does the Ancient of Days, what does he do? He gives total dominion to the Son of Man. You know, sometimes we forget. You know, we're like, well, God reigns. Yes, he does. But specifically, Christ reigns. Christ reigns supreme. For all time. Um, he It is his dominion, his power, his kingdom, his people. And we worship him. And sometimes I know we get it in a church, and this is, this is another rabbit trail, and we don't need to follow it, but sometimes we get it into our church, and we're like, I wish we would talk more about the Holy Spirit, and I wish we should talk more about the Father. You know what? The Father points to his Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit points to the Son, Jesus Christ, And so when we are talking about the Son, Jesus Christ, and his work on our behalf for us, we are referencing the work of the Spirit who brings us to faith, and we are referencing the Father who planned it all out for our salvation. Um, We are doing due honor and good shrift to all three by highlighting Jesus Christ, who is Lord.
1: I want to point out that no other denomination more clearly emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit um, than than uh, the, the confessional Lutheran church I agree when you emphasize when you emphasize properly God's the means of grace that is how the Holy Spirit that's what those are the tools that the Holy Spirit works with. Um, a sainted lady that I had the privilege of serving for quite a few years, um, she, was a, she had been raised Baptist and became a Lutheran um, when she got married to one of the founding members of, or, you know, founding families of the congregation. And one Bible study, she said to me, Pastor, she says, how come we're not more like Baptists? We talk, they talk about the Holy Spirit all the time, and we don't do that. We don't emphasize the Holy Spirit. And I said, Geraldine, I said, you're wrong. And she says, oh, Pastor, I said, just listen, Geraldine, I said, The Baptists, the Reformed, do a lot of talking about the Holy Spirit, but they talk, they don't, they they do very little of talking about the tools that he uses, how he works. Confessional Lutherans do that when we emphasize the preaching of God's word um, and the administration of his sacraments, Um, the public ministry, the forgiveness of sins. I said, when that is done, the Holy Spirit is emphasized, Christ is emphasized, the Father is emphasized. That is how it's done. She goes, oh, wow, that makes sense.
0: Well, yeah, when you see, and and so you say, where is the Holy Spirit working? Right there in the Word, right there in the sacraments. uh, And what is he doing? He's doing what he promised to do. Pointing back and reminding us of Christ Jesus, linking us to Him, putting us into Him, growing us in Him. Um, that is the the ultimate purpose of the Holy Spirit. And and what does the Father do? The Father points down from heaven. This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Listen to Him, right. Uh, sort of combining yep. the words from baptism as well as uh, from from the Lord's baptism as well as his Mount of Transfiguration. Um, just wonderful, wonderful good news. So we have this in the ancient of days and we have this he, and we see the conquering of of the Son of Man. We see Christ uh, here taking the forefront of all human history and leading into eternal dominion and power and glory and honor and all worship and give thanks to him. And now we get an explanation, right? Because um, we have 15, less than 15, 12 minutes left, and, and we we still got eight to go through, and we get to the explanation of this fourth beast. And, and the explanation of the fourth beast is is quite literally Rome, like we said, but, but you have this boasting horn to deal with. And and we get more information about this boasting horn, right? Um, man it's hard to wrap your head around who this is uh we have maybe a little bit of an idea um when we when we we go to the reformers right and we look at at Luther and what he said uh we get a little bit more of an idea on revelation chapter 11 and 13 and mark chapter 13 and second thessalonians chapter 2 what who is this who is this
1: when you look at uh um in chapter eight you get uh we see we see in this horn, we see Antio- We see part. Partly, we see Antiochus. This guy, what he did to the temple, his disdain for the God of Israel, um, was was really. It, it's hard to find a rival for that type of flipping the bird at the true God. Um, In human history, you do, you do find it coming afterwards. But that being said, the things that Antiochus, he did was for one of the first things he did was went into the temple and sacrificed a pig in the Holy of Holies. Um, To understand the abomination that that was. Um, to consider that, uh, to consider that the holy of holies was the pre- was where the presence of of the true God was to be. That was where the sacrifice of for the bull was made, uh, and the blood was sprinkled at, on the mercy seat, where the presence of God was considered to be on the day of atonement. And then to take the uncleanest of animals and sacrifice it there, it was not only flipping the bird at God. I mean, it, it drew it literally dro- pushed the Jewish people over the edge, the desecration of the temple, everything that anything that Antiochus could think of that was going to, to stick it to the true God and to his religion. He did now that keeping in mind, we see that in the beast in that horn that was going to come out of Rome. Um, And, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about it in the New Testament, calls him in 1 Thessalonians the man of lawlessness, um, talks about setting himself up in God's place, in the place of God, in God's temple. This is not some political ruler. This is one who sets himself up in God's church. He sets himself up against everything, anything and everything that is Christ. Um And Lutherans, confessional Lutherans are not the only ones who understand it this way. There are, scripture says there are many, many antichrists. It also says it talks about the antichrist, a particular one. Many Christians, all confessional Lutherans, and many other Christians consider the best fulfillment or the most clearest fulfillment of this prophecy to be the papacy of the Roman Catholic Church because the papacy that structure of the Roman Catholic Church that whole thing it points people away from Christ not to him it it's it, in fact one of the most vile statements that come from the papacy that says anyone who says that salvation is through faith in or that justification comes by faith in Christ alone. Let him be damned. How much more antichrist can you get than that?
0: And I think that is that's something that we need to realize. And 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 dear listener, so in in the short term time that we have, I want to make it very 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 clear. And please open up your ears and listen. We are not calling out a certain pope. We're not. We're not calling out one pope over another pope. What we're saying, the office of the papacy, in other words, the position to which the pope sits, is, as best as we can see it from Scripture and from our confessions, standing in the role, sitting in the role of the Antichrist.
1: He calls himself the vicar of Christ, his stand-in. Right.
0: And so we're saying, so so again, we're saying, because there were some decent popes. We could admit that. There were some. I mean, I'm not going to try to list them. I mean, it'd probably be a shorter list. But there are some. and, And there are some horrible popes, too. There are some of those. What we're saying is it's the office, that office that says that we are standing in the stead of Christ, and only from him and from the lap of the papacy can one be forgiven yes, or who we're,
1: we're not judging hearts of popes. That's God's job. We're judging the position of the papacy and the
0: teaching to which it follows. And I think that's something that we, that that we needed to have said. We needed to have that said. And so you have this boasting, right of this of this singular horn. And he is given there near the end of, of chapter seven. He's given uh, what is said and, and I quote um, we are the, the saints are, are given into his hands for a time times and a half a time. And if you know what that means, then you are far better than I would say all of the religious scholars who have ever been since this this vision has been given. We're not told exactly what it is. It's its been kind of accepted that it's maybe loosely translated three and a half years. And we get that from Daniel 12, and we get that maybe from Revelations 12, and, and again in Revelations 13. But the idea is not so clear-cut as, okay, we have a definitive three and a half years. I think the point that's being made is he's given, he's given what might seem like a long time, but all of a sudden it's going to be cut to an end. Like that that there's dominion that he has, that that he's practicing his power or using his abilities um for a short period of time, for a time that is is going to be specifically regulated. Um other commentaries say that that it's going to be for, for uh you have this three and a half is is more of the religious section of you have the trinity, but it's not the trinity. It's, it's, it's against the trinity. And so it's three and a half years. That's a playing with numerology. And I think what we have here is just a, a very good explanation. I think the safest explanation is that, again, it's timed, right? It's not indefinite. It is it is finite. And, and it's not going to be forever. Um, and the saints are not going to be held down forever. They are going to be freed. Um, and that leads us, in many ways, to uh, and then we have, of course, at the end of seven, just a restating of of the dominion of Christ. But that leads us to eight, and eight gives us uh, a switch back into Hebrew, and and in the last very very last couple of minutes, I think we can run through this because we're only introduced to two beasts. One is a ram with two horns, one long, one short, and the other is um, a goat. That has one long horn that breaks, and I think this is where we get into that conversation with Antiochus. We're dealing with only two nations now, and um, we can finish it out with the discussion of of the Antichrist. So, so let's do that. Um, I will lead up, and you can you can help introduce that final conversation with the Antichrist. The two nations, Medes and the Persians, um, the that's the ram with the two horns, and dominant, very, very strong. Looks like no one can stand up to it. And then all of a sudden, you have this goat, a male goat with one horn, who's very feisty and very angry. And he comes and he tramples the Medes and the Persians. He tramples the ram and destroys them and takes over. And then all of a sudden, the horn breaks, right? And um, the horn breaks, four more horns show up. And one of them is boisterous exalting itself and and is now placing itself into this context of what we would call the antichrist or a antichrist take it away
1: and I'd like how you say that again this boisterous uh you know it's kind of again like the the in the previous vision the one horn again please I don't want anybody to be offended and think that we're church bashing I want to, I want to tell you, that it that there are many that there are many believers within the Catholic Church. We're not saying that if you're Catholic you're going to hell. Uh, uh, the gospel and the sacraments are still present um, within that denomination. Um, one of the things being said, and actually there's probably some things too I can tell you from my own, some of my own, most of my own relatives being Roman Catholic. Um, not, there's not, there's quite a few of them that aren't too appreciative of the papacy themselves. So this isn't something that is distinctively Lutheran or even church against church type of thing. But I mean, when you look at the papacy itself and the Pope and and, uh, all of the costuming and the pageantry um, um, and and everything that goes along with it, you even look at uh, uh you 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 look at uh, uh the vatican um and all of the things that go along with it i again boisterous boasting where is the attention they're being given is it being you understand where i'm going at there will
0: well yeah i mean just the fact that if you go and see the pope you got to kneel and kiss his ring i mean there is just a there is um a... The papacy carries along with it a, a, a type of arrogance.
1: One of the things is one of my former church presidents, who is now with the Lord. He and his family took a trip out to to Rome and to the Vatican, and you know, and even how he talking. They got talked. They got an audience with the Pope. Just think about it, an audience with the Pope. Um, you know, no one it, speaks
0: that way of having an audience with the pastor. No. Maybe we should start saying that we have an audience. I don't.
1: We just had a discussion in our Bible study today about uh, once again uh, sin in the church. You know, let me let me put it this way: uh, whenever we have a pope that dies and and so forth, you know, they always they always can. And this was something that was brought out to me by one of my confirmation students a few years ago with the one of the last popes that died, and they had, uh, you know, and they're always referring to him as his holiness, his holiness, and that the pope is holy. And one of my confirmation students said, Pastor, I thought if you were holy, you didn't die.
0: Bingo. Yeah, there you go, and there's the there's the the take home on that one, isn't it? Um, he is boastful. This this horn that shows up, he's boastful. He's arrogant. He he places himself in the role of Christ. I think one of the things that that is a take home for it is that we have a switch in what happens. Um, we go from from the conquering nature of of and the suffering that comes from conquering uh, over God's people to. Um, the to the destruction, uh, not not necessarily destruction, um, probably more the discord, right, and and the leading astray of God's people, if possible. Um, you know, there is there's so much that is is found here in in this where where we are where we're given over, right? God's people are given over for a time where where they're they're held under the sway of this. Uh, I think the last couple of verses in this section really um, talk about it, where we have the angel saying, how long is the vision about the continual sacrifice and the rebellion that causes desolation going to last, this handing over of both the holy place and the army to be trampled? What army is being handed over to be trampled? Well, that's the saints. And, and what is the holy place? That is the very scriptures themselves, right? Uh, the very word of God, um, that it's trampled and it's run down. And, and what is the response? The response is beautiful. Until 2,300 evenings and mornings, and then the holy place will be consecrated. Um, now, I view that as a divine limited time. It's not forever, and God will reclaim what is his own. Um, and there's there's a blessing to that, um, and and Christ will will again remain and and reign dominant. Um, any any thoughts you want to have on that last section there?
1: I, I like what you said too there about again the holy place, the Word of God. Once again, uh, uh, in in Catholicism, Word of God is given short shrift. Um, you have tradition, the way things have already all, all the things way things have always been done. Um uh and then th- what the Pope says when he speaks from his throne as being authoritative. Scripture takes a back seat.
0: Again, um, like I said if
1: you, ever wonder, if you ever wonder why is Catholicism so different, it's because scripture is not eliminated so to speak it's given a back seat to things it shouldn't be taking a back seat to
0: right the and and as was said how long is the handing over of both the holy place and the army trampled um the handing over of the holy place i think is that is that it takes a side seat right it no longer is is dominant and and profound um and and, and again, we could say it—I'm not saying, dear listener, that there aren't churches where, where the truth of God's Word is kept in its purity. I firmly believe that's in, in, in the Lutheran Church, um, in the confessional Lutheran Church, the Orthodox Lutheran Church, that we have that holy place that is there for us to come and take comfort in. But I, I'm also going to say, and, and I've said this before, Lutheranism is the best-kept best secret in the United States— um I mean we are we are we are a better kept secret than area 51. Everybody knows where area 51 is but not everyone knows where a Lutheran Church is. Uh, I mean and so I would say that that the the truth of the matter everyone knows a Catholic Church though, right? everybody knows of Catholicism um everybody knows of the Pope um not everybody knows Don Winsberger. And, and the work that he's doing out out there uh, among God's people sharing God's grace. Uh, not everybody knows um, the pastors who are, are out in the rural communities who are, are lifting high the gospel of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, the, the, the holy places where, where the Lord is, is giving his word in its purity are few and far between, and and it will be for a time. I think that's the point. It will be for a time, but not forever.
1: Yes. And uh, once again, I love if we're, we're going to we've got a couple more times to emphasize this as we as we do our a couple a couple more podcasts on Daniel, but it will always come back to this. Uh, God is in control. God knows what he's doing. The victory is already his no matter what it appears like here. Um, the plan is an action and it is a good one. And uh, that's what I got to keep reminding myself of myself. And I know a lot of people, as we, look at, as, we, as we look at what's going on, as we fear what might happen, we don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. It doesn't matter even if things are, are a bed of roses and the sea of life is just mirror calm. We still need to be coming back to these things. God knows what he's doing and the victory is his. And uh, and I see that so wonderfully in the book of Daniel because this is what helps I, as I look at the life of that prophet. It didn't mean that he didn't have some consternation. It didn't mean that he had some worries. Even in these two chapters we're looking at, he had these visions and he got stirred up and he was inwardly troubled. But you know what? He didn't lose it because he knew... God knew what he was doing, and the victory was his.
0: And I think that is a perfect way for us to end on a wonderful note. Join us again as we continue our walk through the book of Daniel, and God blessings as you go about your week.